Well, good morning. I hope you are doing well. If we haven't had the opportunity yet to, uh, to meet, my name is Dean. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching online, we're grateful that you are with us today. If you are our guest, um, I would encourage you to take out your smartphone or your tablet right now and type in lpguest.com into your web browser. Certainly, if you're in the room, you can use the QR code that's on one of the chairs in front of you to help you uh, get to that same spot. There are two reasons to do that. One is that we have interactive message notes so that as I'm teaching this morning, you can type your notes into my notes. If you want to do that, email those to yourself. Maybe as a reminder of something that God says to you. But the second reason, and maybe more importantly, is that there's a digital guest card that's available there. And um, if you'll take the opportunity to fill that out on the bottom of that digital guest card, is a, there are six different ministries that we're already partnered with, but you choose the one of those six. They're doing great ministry throughout uh, our city and central Ohio. Uh, we'll make an extra $5 donation to that particular ministry just to give you the opportunity to do something good uh, and kind. So if you want to go ahead and do that right now, feel free to do that as well. We are jumping back into our series beginning this year called Broken Mirrors. And the whole idea of the series is that we're looking at characters from Hebrews chapter 11. It highlights um, some Old Testament characters, and we're looking at some of the lesser discussed characters uh, from Hebrews chapter 11. And even though they're called heroes, um, they are broken heroes. So we're looking at these characters and kind of using them like a mirror to gauge God's activity um, in our own lives because we believe that broken people can still reflect a perfect God, that you and I, even though imperfect as we are, regrets that we have, things that we wish we could change and undo, God can still and will still uh, use our lives. And as we're going through that, we're looking at the five core values of our church. Last week, we talked about gospel identity, this idea that Jesus makes us new, that he moves us from death to life, which moves us to the second of those core values this week, which is reaching priority. And we say that reaching priority just simply means that we are missionaries. If you're a believer, right, you are a missionary, that it's our role to make a difference in other people's lives. Um, if you follow bowl season uh, very much in football, you know that certain bowls um, over the last decade or so, they've tried to do things that help them make a difference. And one of those is um, the Allstate Sugar Bowl. What Allstate um, has done, again, started about 10 years ago, they put together what they call the Good Works Team. They looked at colleges and universities all over the country, football teams, and they picked players who are doing an incredible job with community transformation, leveraging their platform uh, for the sake of community transformation. Well, this year um, for uh, the Good Works Team, we actually had a young man from our church uh, play football here at Olentangy. Uh, Trent Maddox, who now plays at Ashland University, who was chosen to be on uh, that national uh, Good Works team. It's a pretty small group of folks. Trent started a football camp for young people uh, who have special needs. So he got, the, he got the full treatment. I was talking to him about it. He got to go to New Orleans for the Sugar Bowl. He got to be part of the parade. He got to meet you know, football celebrities, uh, Tim Tebow, you know, the Tebow Foundation, their work with Night to Shine. That uh, was kind of a connectivity with uh, kind of what Trent had done. Um, so it was a great experience, but the highlight, the pinnacle of the experience was gonna be the halftime of the Sugar Bowl. They were gonna bring all the young men out um, in their uh, collegiate jerseys, right? And they would be recognized and everybody would clear from. Now you remember in the game, right? That, that was the University of Texas versus the University of Washington. 
Texas obviously is going to have more fans there. They're kind of an iconic power, kind of like we have, uh, if you're an Ohio State fan. We have the OH, right? Texas has this little thing they do called the hook'em horns, right? We have no Texas fans here. That's wonderful. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. We love, we love, we love Texas. So anyway, whenever Texas plays other teams, what other teams like to do just to troll Texas is they do this. They the downward horns, like you see teams, and especially Oklahoma, like that's their, right, that's their rival. So um, halftime comes, Trent says they run us out to, uh, to midfield. They're showing a little video montage. Then the lights are gonna come up. We're gonna snap a picture of all the guys on the Good Works team, and everybody's gonna cheer, right, for all the good things, right, that these young men uh, have, have done. So Trent says, montage plays, we're standing there, the lights come up, it's kind of quiet, and then he says, we start getting booed. He said, not just a few boos, Pastor Dean, thousands of people start booing us. And I was like, what, what's going on? And then I turned and looked, and I'll show you a picture of the camp. You see the guy over there on the right from the University of Oklahoma? He thought that would be a great time to flash the horns down symbol to all the Texas fans, 40,000 or more of them in the Sugar Bowl. Trent said it wasn't even that. Like whenever they started to walk us off the field, we all started walking this way. That guy stays, he remains, and he turns to every section in the, in the stadium, right? And so as we think about reaching priority, um, you saw the message, the title of the message today is the standout. I'll just say, sometimes you gotta be that guy, right? Sometimes as a believer, you're gonna stand out, right? As we're seeking to not only receive the light uh, of Christ, and maybe not in that way, but we are going to become and be, right, the light of Jesus. As we look at Hebrews chapter 11 today, um, for those of us who struggle a little bit with self-righteousness, we're gonna struggle with the character that we're gonna look at actually being included in Hebrews chapter 11. That this guy could even be, a, in a lot of ways, he's the antithesis. He's the anti-example. But remember, we're talking about broken heroes. So Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll read uh, verses 32 and 33. The author says this, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, and then our character, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, uh, and, stopped, uh, and stopped the mouths of lions. Samson, he was one of the judges in the Old Testament. Now, there's this cycle in the book of Judges, if you read it in the Old Testament, and the cycle is rebel, repent, repeat. What would happen with the people of Israel is they would make bad choices, experience the consequences, uh, just the natural outworking of making bad choices. They would be overthrown by another country. They would pray and ask God to help them, forgive them, uh, to uh, deliver them. And God would raise up a judge and the judge would come along. He would deliver them. There would be a, uh, out of that repentance, there would be a time of prosperity for a season. And then out of prosperity, they'd start to make the same choices, experience the same consequences, over, and it was just a cycle. Rebel, repent, repeat. Rebel, repent, repeat. And it was in the middle, I, th I think Samson is the 13th uh, of Israel's judges, 
They were being oppressed by a foreign country, uh, Philistia. And it was in the middle of this cycle that God comes to a man uh, named Manoah and his wife, who at that time could not have children. And God says to them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going I'm to give you a son, and he is going to be, I'm going to use the, God's term here, the deliverer of the people as you are being oppressed uh, by the country uh, of the Philistines. So Samson's parents, they name him intentionally. The word Samson means sunshine. So the idea is that God's light was supposed to shine through Samson to his own people, and as there's renewal in his own people, that light then would shine through the country of Israel to the nations uh, that, were, that were around them. His life was designed to be a light. And that's not just true of Samson. That's true of you and me. You were created, you were designed, your life was designed to be a light. So here's how God works that out in Samson's life. He's going to give him uh, incredible physical strength. That's going to be the, the gifting that God gives him kind of, if I can say it on this way, on the exterior of his life. But on the interior of his life, this angel says to Manoah and his wife that Samson's going to be a Nazarite. Now, this was kind of a special code, if you will, that a certain small select number of people chose to live by. It was a, it was a covenant. Uh, it was three parts to the covenant. One, uh, Nazarite, Samson, he's never going to drink alcohol because as a judge, he would never want his judgment to be questioned in, in any way. Second thing, um, he, um, he was not allowed to touch anything dead because if he did, he would be rendered ceremonially unclean by Hebrew law, and because of that, he wouldn't be able to go into the temple where he's going to execute, right, as a, as a judge, as a justice, and just in, in worship. The third part was that he would never cut his hair because that was kind of this outward sign that he was holding to um, a Nazarite, uh, to that vow that God had given him. So what you see in Samson He's got this incredible gifts, these incredible, this incredible physical strength on the outside, but that's matched, it's mirrored or buoyed up by this Nazarite code that he lives by on the inside. But what happens with Samson, and quite frankly what happens with a lot of us, is that as a young guy, his, his external gifts outpaced his spiritual maturity on the inside. So he was known for his activity and the things that he could do, the things that he could accomplish, but all the while on the inside, the spiritual side of Samson was deteriorating day by day by day. And we all feel that. We know, that we know what that's like, right? We all know what it's like to say to somebody else, to give the greatest advice, right? Don't send that text. Don't invest in that scheme. Um, don't make that social media post. Don't, we, we can tell everybody the things not to do. And yet, we tend to turn around and do the very things that we tell other people not to do. We know what it's like to, to have this uh, struggle, this internal this internal battle, and really chapters 13 through 16 become this step by step by step of Samson, one at a time, 
In chapter 13, he, um, he goes to a wedding. He breaks the first part of his Nazarite code. But while he's there, he sees a young lady, um, a Philistine young lady, and he wants to date her. Now, his parents try and talk him out of it. They know this is not, this is not a good idea because they're not on the same page spiritually, right? But Samson, here's how he responds. Judges chapter 14, just to show you a little bit of his arrogance. Uh, chapter 14 and verse 3. But Samson said uh, to his father, Get her for me, for she looks good to me. Now, I'll just say this. If you're here, uh, you're single, young, old, he can, she can look good to you and still be bad for you, right? What Samson's parents are advocating for here is to choose covenant, spiritual covenant over chemistry. It's not that chemistry doesn't mean anything. It's just that chemistry is not the thing. It's not that it's not a reason to go on a date with somebody, but it's not the reason to go on. What should be primary in our lives is a spiritual covenant. And I'll kind of flip that a little bit, just using, continuing to use this example. Because if you're willing to prioritize your spiritual covenant, in the area of choosing someone to date or choosing someone uh, to marry, what area of your life would you not prioritize putting God first? This whole idea we talked about last week of gospel identity, living out this reality that you, uh, that you have been made new, that you're living in consistent daily uh, relationship with him. If you're willing to live that out in this area, what other area? So when you're rightly related to God, right, with the sense of spiritual covenant, then what happens when gospel identity is right, then reaching priority makes sense. But if you try to engage in making a difference in the lives of others, and not perfectly, but rightly related to God, if you're, if you're not rightly related to God, what can happen is that um, it just feels empty. As a matter of fact, um, I'll say it to you this way. If it's not real, if it's not authentic, if it's not real in you, it will most likely feel plastic to others. And again, I wanna be real clear here. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it at least has to be authentic. It has to be real. And what's beautiful about that is as you approach God in identity and who he's created you to be, you understand who your gifts are. And so your external work matches the internal spiritual covenant. That's what brings this kind of um, this kind of momentum towards a sense of joy. And when you do that, when you seek to make a difference in the life of others, and we want to do that the way that Jesus did that. Scriptures say he is full of grace and truth. Full of both grace and truth. And some of us, I would just say, we're so truth-filled that when we talk to others, when we share with others, people walk away and they just feel like we're trying to win arguments. But at the same time, some of us are so grace-filled that whenever we talk to them, people feel great being with you, but at the same time feel totally unchallenged by you. It's not grace or truth, it's grace and truth. We want people to hear truth and to sense grace. And regardless of which way maybe you lean on those two things, I'll say just another area that sometimes is difficult for us when we think about being a light in the world is that we feel like it's our responsibility to change people. You ever feel that? Like it's your job, it's my job, right? To change, that's not our job. 
That's God's, our job is to share, right? God's job is to shape. We share, God shapes. Now, I want to share a verse of scripture uh, with you. This is the first verse that I ever memorized as a college student. Um, man, I feel like it brings these two ideas together. It's 1 Peter 3.15. It says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, that's what we talked about last week, right? That's gospel identity that God has set apart. He's the love of your life, not just once in salvation, but in daily relationship, you're walking this out with him. That's gospel identity. And then always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That's reaching priority. You see how those two things, right? They, they come together. So I would encourage you, as I encourage myself, think conversations before conversions. Our job is conversations. Conversion, changing somebody, like that's, that's God's job. It's not my job, it's not your job. You're like, well, okay, Dean, that sounds great, but how? How do I do this? And if I could uh, give you an illustration that hopefully will make sense, um, when, an, uh, when an army's about to mobilize in a mission, they think about two things, air war, ground war, right? Air war, how do we affect things as a whole? Ground war, how do you, how do uh, I affect things individually, right? So let's talk about air war for a second. How could you leverage your life to reach hundreds, thousands of people? You're like, look, Dean, I don't, I mean, I'm never going to go stand up on a stage and teach. I'm never going to, you don't have to do that. You can leverage your life to reach thousands and thousands of people. You're like, how do I do that? I want to give you some ways to do that. One easy way to do that. A lot of you have social media accounts. See, just share your favorite verse on social media. Share something on social media that talks about God's activity um, in your life. If you don't feel equipped um, to do that, a simple, simple thing to do. When you show up here on Sundays, just check in. Hundreds of people will see that. Thousands of people will see that. Maybe somebody um, has invited them to come to a church. Maybe somebody's invited them to come here. Maybe that'll be a reminder um, to them. You never know who, how many people um, could see. If you don't know what to say, that's fine. You can go to uh, another ministries page if you want to. You can go to our, uh, our church's site and just share something from, from our church. You, unbelievable how many people you'll reach. I'll give you another way. You drive anywhere and everywhere all over the city. On your way out today, just pick up a window sticker. Put this window sticker in your car and over the next few years, hundreds of people, thousands of people, and I know what some of you are thinking, you don't want me putting that window sticker on my car. I gotta change how I drive, man, if I put that sticker, right, on my car. And the answer is yes, right? Not know if it's gonna be perfect, but it's just another way, right, that your heart can be shaped. You can grab an invite card. Again, these are available, available in the lobby. Go grab an invite card, keep it with you, pray over the card, ask God to give you an opportunity, one you may know about, one that you may not know about. Keep it with you, and what are you doing? You're always being prepared to give someone an answer for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect. Your life can be leveraged in countless numbers 
of ways. But then let's talk about ground war. Because most often when it comes to this idea of reaching priority, somebody uh, is going to say uh, to me, but I don't, I don't know enough. I don't know. And so in the app notes today, I've provided for you some links um, that will be helpful for you to be prepared. Right? One of those is just a simple gospel presentation that talks about God's story in the context of your story that can shape somebody else's story. It's called Three Circles. You can write it out on a napkin for somebody to use that as a way that you can simply share uh, what gospel identity um, is, all, is all about. Um, here in a couple of weeks, uh, when we start uh, a brand new term of life groups, we've got a brand new bridge group. Pastor Ed, who taught here a few weeks ago, is going to do a bridge group this term called Foundations. And the point uh, of that class is to understand how the Bible is one story that starts in Genesis and is connected all the way to Revelation. So maybe you want to come to that Foundations bridge group to get a perspective and maybe it'll help you feel more confident, right, as you take the opportunities that God brings to you. Maybe you say, you know what, I want to go, um, I want to go on a mission trip uh, this year. Again, in the links, there's a way to contact uh, our missions team. I know we've got spots on the Nepal trip that's coming up later this spring. Or maybe you want to um, come, we're doing a brand new uh, course, uh, creatively titled, Intro to Missions, uh, that's gonna be on March 3rd, and you can come and be part of that course and learn more and learn about the ways that God can use you, God can leverage um, your life. Samson did not, he didn't connect what's going on on the inside of him to what was going on on the outside of him. So another good example of that. Philistines, and they're hot, right, at Samson. So they send a thousand foot soldiers and they attack in Israel and they're looking for Samson. Now when the Hebrews find out about that, they gather up about 3,000 men and they go down to where they know Samson is. And you kind of had this, uh, there's this part of chapter 14 where you're like, are they going down to attack Samson and try to betray him to the Philistines or to support Samson? And when he gets down there, you realize they explain to him what's going on. This attack has come from the Philistines and it ends up being kind of both. Samson says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to bind uh, my wrist with flax, and you're going to turn me over to the Philistines. I want you to think about that for a minute. This is, the, this is the Hebrew people betraying, turning over their deliverer, their savior, right, to their mortal enemies. But Samson is the one who's allowing this to happen. And he's doing that because in all of this, um, using his physical gifts, he's got a plan. Here's what, it, uh, here's what it says in chapter 15, verses 14 and 15. When he, he uh, Samson, came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were uh, on his arms became as flax caught in fire. The bonds his bonds melted off of his hands, and he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. I'm sure some of those other guys in Israel jumped in with him. And he judged Israel. This is kind of a summary statement. He judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Samson reaches down. He grabs the jawbone, right, of a, of a donkey, of a corpse, of a carcass that was there. And you realize that's step two, right, in the Nazarite vow. He was never supposed to touch anything that was dead. And he uses that as, as a weapon 
And it's just a reminder to you and me, like Samson began to believe his, the heart propaganda, right? You can commit a small, small sin. Nobody will ever know. You can hide it. Other people can't handle it, but you can handle it. And all the while, the interior of Samson's heart, his relationship with God is just brick by brick by brick. It just feels like it's falling apart. And you and I, we have those same voices and we hear those same things, those besetting, uh, those besetting ideas, those besetting idols right in our lives. Nobody will ever know. Just keep it a secret. Other people can't handle it. You can handle it. Like we hear similar things to what, to what Samson, to what he heard. And when you get to the end of chapter 15, obviously the relationship with the uh, previous young gal that he wanted to date in chapter 13, that unsurprisingly, right, it doesn't work out, but that's okay, because in the end of chapter 15, he meets um, another Philistine gal, and this time, for him, it's love. He falls in love uh, with this gal, so much so that he writes her a song. That song sits dormant for 4,000 years until, uh, in 2007, the Plain White Tees released Hey There, Delilah. You know the song, right? Hey there, Delilah, what's life like in New York City, right? Remember the chorus, the hook, right, of that song? Oh, it's what you do to me. I guarantee you Samson wrote that, right, about Delilah thousands of years ago because Delilah's working behind the scenes with the Philistines to find out the secret of Samson's great strength. And when she cuts his hair, some of the saddest verses in the Bible, she wakes Samson up. She says, the Philistines are here. And Samson says in his own heart, he says, I will go out, quote, and I will shake myself free as I have done before. But he did not know that the Spirit of God was gone from him. And so that was the third part, right, of that Nazarite vow. Like, he's walked them all out one by one by one. And Here's what, uh, here's what happens in verse 21 of chapter uh, 16. Then the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with shackles. They set him to grinding grain in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow back again after, um, after it had been shaved. The Philistines grab Samson. They, they want to do something that's irrevocable, right, in case something happens. So they gouge out his eyes, and they put him in a grinding mill, which would have been kind of like, if you think about a cross like this, there would have been a big ball in the middle. They would have dumped grain in it, and they would have had donkeys walking around in a circle, except in this case, there were like three donkeys and Samson. His hands are tied right to that post, and he's walking, following the donkeys. You and I know what comes out of the backsides of donkeys, right? And he's walking in that hour after hour after hour. This is the hero, the deliverer of Israel. But there's just this amazing goodness and mercy and grace that comes from God in the lowest moments of our lives, in the middle of our deepest regrets, in the middle of our worst mistakes. 
as Samson's hair grows back, I don't think that's that big a deal, to be honest with you, but as his hair grows back, his humility begins to grow. And the end of chapter 16 says that the Philistines come, they take him, they're going to make sport of him, they put him in a, a coliseum, and in the coliseum, right, his hands are set on the post, and Samson prays this incredible prayer of humility. God returns to Samson his great strength, and in one last act, he pushes out these pillars, part of, at least of that, that temple, that facility, that coliseum collapses, and there's this little verse, kind of the epitaph on Samson's life that says, and Samson did more in that one act to deliver Israel from the Philistines than he had done in the rest of his life. So just when you think all is, all is lost, God raises Samson up to do his greatest work. And I look at Samson's life, and again, just being honest with you, like a little bit of a self-righteous glare. Like, God, how could, why didn't, if you knew what was coming with Samson, like, why didn't you just stop this early and start over with somebody else? Because it's not about heroes. It's about broken heroes. And Samson is a deliverer, not the deliverer. Samson is an echo. His, his deliverance is an echo of the ultimate deliverer. You look at, you look at Samson's life, uh, right? Betrayed by his own people into the hands of, they betray their own savior into the hands of their enemies. It's very reminiscent of the Hebrews who betrayed Jesus into the hands of the Romans. They gave their own savior up. And at the same time, Samson allowed for it to happen just like Jesus. It was the plan all along. Just like Jesus allows this to happen, he voluntarily goes to the cross, is crucified, not just for the sins of the world, but for your sins and for my sins. He pays a price that you and I could not pay. And when it seems like, man, everything with Jesus, when it seems like everything is done, he's laid in a tomb, not one day, two days, three days, it's at that moment that God raises Jesus up in his greatest work, the resurrection. Just like you see that similarity in Samson's life. Samson's life points us toward the deliverer. And he points us toward this identification with our gospel identity and with God and his sacrifice uh, for us so that he can empower us through his spirit to be and become light. And it's super critical that we get both of those things, not one of those things, not just our activity, right? It's not, it's not just that, or it's not, it's not even just saying, well, I'm right with God because I've got this relationship. It's both and, not either or. That's really important because all of us, all of us have a Delilah. It may not be the member of an opposite sex with a name, but all of us have a besetting idol, something that we would put in front of our personal allegiance to God and serve it and make choices based on it. And in some ways, fake and external spirituality so that we can try and have both of those things, right? We can have what we really, really want that we put in front of God at times, and we can have this exterior where everybody else thinks, because somehow if we think if we're fooling other people, we're fooling God, right? All of us have a Delilah. But the gospel, the good news, is that all of us have a deliverer who in the middle of our worst regrets and our worst mistakes and our worst choices will meet us and as we walk with him can raise us up 
to do our greatest work. So when you get gospel identity right and you get reaching priority right, it's almost hard to find a way to stop God from using your life to be like my, my life group leader says it this way all the time. He's like, listen, if you pray and ask God for opportunities to be a light in the life, it's hard to not see them. As a matter of fact, sometimes it could be overwhelming, right? The number of opportunities that God brings your way. Sometimes we're just not looking and because we're not looking, we don't, we don't see them. But the reality is this, found people find people. I'm gonna say that to you again. Found people, people who have been found by God, who have that gospel identity value right. Found people find people. So where, where is the air war of your life? How are you leveraging your life to reach hundreds of people, thousands of people? I think about somebody uh, from our church who there this fall grabbed a, an invite card for one of our series, tucked it away in his car. You can tuck it, like I said, in your wallet, in a purse, um, in a vehicle. Prayerfully asked God to use it. God gave him somebody to invite. Not only did we invite them and they came to church, but they came to faith and were baptized this fall. Took that step of going public um, with, with their faith. Where's the air war um, in your life? I think about um, opportunities um, that you and I have, think about like on Life Change Sunday, right? We had people serving, all of our people taking that step of going public with their faith through baptism. There was a, a lady here, I'll call her Julieta, was here and she was inspired by the life transformation that she was seeing. So she decided, man, she wanted to be baptized. She got up, went out the back doors, met Brina from our Next Steps team. As they're kind of walking back around to kind of get her set up, Brina just asked her a couple of questions about faith and realized that the gospel identity side, that that wasn't all in alignment in terms of covenant. And so they just stopped right there, talked that through. She came to faith in Christ on her way to be baptized, on her way to the water. So you can serve. And in the context of serving, maybe God gives you opportunities. I think about Pierre, right, who was one of our worship leaders here for a couple of years, and Pierre just moved home uh, to Indonesia. But right before he moved back to Indonesia, he had attended um, school up in uh, Michigan, getting a graduate degree up there. And one of his roommates, who was from a different uh, religion, a different faith, um, while he was there, he would ask Pierre all the time, like, why do you get up and go to church on Sunday mornings? And so it gave Pierre the opportunities to share with him. But not only that, Pierre took another step. He went out and bought him a Bible. Whenever he left there, gave him a Bible. He said, man, I'm gonna be gone. I'm gonna be you know, going down to Columbus uh, to work, but I wanted to give you a copy of God's word. So before Pierre went back to Indonesia, he just wanted to take the opportunity to check in um, with his former roommate. Hadn't seen him eight months, nine months, checks in with him. They get on FaceTime. One of the first things his former roommate does, he lifts up, he says, remember you bought me this Bible? He's like, I'm going to an Orthodox church now, quote, and I'm learning about Jesus. Air war, ground, where's the ground war in your life? Who are you praying for? Who are you asking God for opportunities for? Found people, find people. And the joy of our lives is to be the light that God has designed us to be and to become. So we're gonna sing a song right now. And I want you to sing it honestly. The song is called Available. Here's what it says. Here I am, here I am. You, you God, you can have it all. So let's pray 
And let's sing this song. Full hearts, full souls that God would use us. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, the way that you have not only sacrificed for us, not only have you made a way for us to come to know you, but God, even in that process, you would use us. You would use our lives to make a difference. And so God, for folks all over our church who are making a difference in any number of ways, God, we pray that this year that you'd maximize that, that we'd have opportunities, God, to make a difference in people's lives that we never see, that we'll never hear about. That's gonna make eternity joyful. But God, also that there are gonna be moments, opportunities that we have to become a light where we see your activity and the fact that we got to join, that makes here joyful. You are a good, good God. And because of that, we just want to start this year out by saying that we are available to you. In Jesus' name.